Good morning. Welcome to Laurel Heights. In just a moment, I'll be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the church at Corinth. In a previous letter, there was a tone of rebuke accompanied by what might be called remedial instruction. So think of it this way, from God, through Paul, to the church at Corinth, they're going to receive corrective instruction in the first Corinthian letter. The second Corinthian letter is a little different. Paul was put in the position of having to defend his apostleship. There were men, he mentions in chapter 11, called false apostles. Paul is not only responding to that threat himself, he is giving instruction and guidance to faithful brethren in Corinth about their response to this threat. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm reading verses 1 through 6 from the English Standard Version. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away, I beg of you that when I present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Have you ever been in a situation as a Christian, you are responding to something that is wrong. You're responding to a sinner. You are responding to error. And you discover that in your zeal, your methods and attitude were not exactly what they should have been. And so in that circumstance, you learn something about yourself, that you need to apply better discipline. Without good attitude and discipline and methods, your efforts to save someone may not glorify God. Your cause is righteous. It is a case where you know there is sin, there is false teaching, there is a need for a righteous response, but you get wrapped up in the emotion of the moment with a strong element of disappointment, indignation, disgust against sin to the point you need to step back 
And make certain your methods and your attitude glorify God. I've been there. The Apostle Peter experienced this impulsiveness. In Mark 3 and verse 17, James and John were called the sons of thunder. See, when truth is under attack, when sin is evident, when our Lord isn't respected, when Scripture is tossed aside and selfishness reigns, and there is division and ruin and apostasy and damage, God's people respond. But understanding that in that response, temptation can enter. So your cause is righteous, the sin and error is real, and it demands a response, but we may sometimes in our zeal be tempted to go beyond good methods and good attitude. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, wants to make certain they understand that their response, their militance, must be limited and restrained by the will of God. Here's how we do that. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, Paul says here. When you are in a defensive mode, when you are reacting to wrong or answering error, let's be honest, you can just get all worked up. And discipline can be lost in that process. Self-control can be a challenge. How do we guard ourselves against that temptation? We are responding to something that needs a response. Our cause is righteous, but we remember that Paul said, Be angry, but sin not. That can be so difficult sometimes. One way to let God govern us in those circumstances of pressure is to remember the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. That is to say, His example of composure, His strength under control, that's the example we are called upon to follow. His wise restraint, yet never compromising are letting sin have free course, are sinners encouraged in their sin. We are to be followers of Christ in all our responses to anything and anyone. Meekness. Let's talk about that word. I believe one of the mistakes generally made about meekness is to equate Meekness with something that sounds like it. Weakness. That's not the Bible definition of meekness. Christ was meek and gentle, <clears throat> but he was strong and direct against sin. Moses, according to Numbers 12 and verse 3, was more meek or humble than anyone in his time. But was he weak? 
Did Moses speak out? Did he expose sin? Did he defend his people? Did he honor God and uphold God's truth? He certainly did. The Bible idea of meekness is not ever about compromise or timidity. It is strength under control. It is strength without losing that element of discipline. If I want to defend the truth, love people, glorify God, and be responsive to sin and error, it will require my application of the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Paul is going to tell the Corinthians to answer the arguments of men against the truth, but with the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Proverbs 15.28 is something I need to review from time to time. It says the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Further, there is a prohibition in 2 Corinthians 10. Do not wage war according to the flesh. Here's an example. All of us agree, and we actually hate, the sin of killing unborn babies. We hate that practice because of our love for God and our love and respect for life as God has set it up. Christians stand on biblical ground against the modern practice of abortion. But we're not going to shoot doctors, bomb clinics, and we're not going to recommend those responses because we do not war according to the flesh. Now, that there is a war a conflict between right and wrong cannot be denied. That abortion and other social sins should be opposed cannot be denied. That God's people are called to be voices of truth and soldiers in the Lord's army wearing the whole armor of God, absolutely. But we don't use the world's weapons. We don't lie about those who oppose us. We don't insult people to make us look tough. We avoid vigilante revenge. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We speak the truth. We answer arguments with the truth. We take people to the truth. We live in harmony with the truth. We illustrate it by the way we speak and think and live. We keep our focus on God's truth, but we don't have to resort to worldly methods. Here's why. God has abundantly supplied exactly what we need to fight the battle for truth and against error and sin. And you know the passage I'm going to read. Look with me please in Ephesians chapter 6 beginning at verse 10. 
rather than resort to the weapons and methods of men, we're going to use, we're going to apply in our warfare against sin and error, the weaponry God has given us. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Why would it ever occur to me to use the weapons and methods of men when God has given me all I need to be a soldier in His army. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Third, in combating sin and evil, in answering error, use the knowledge of God. Sometimes, when we are reacting to wickedness or we're answering a question or we're showing the error being promoted by false teachers, we can't seem to find the words. We think about it and we labor over having just the right words to answer the question that may be a loaded question or to respond to someone who is defending what is wrong. We struggle to find the words. If you can't find exactly the words you're comfortable with, use God's words. How simple and how powerful. I'm going to give you an example. Someone will say to me in our age today something like this. Brother Berkeley, I think people ought to have any definition of marriage that they want to have. I think that people today ought to be able to enter into marriages and then walk out of them and enter into another marriage and then another without any regard to any kind of rules or governing authority that is given in Scripture. And no matter what the gender. So men engaging in marriages with men and women with women, I think, how do you respond to that, Brother Berkeley? And oh, I can find words. But here are the best words 
I can use in response to that inquiry. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. That's Matthew 19 verses 4 through 9. When I respond <clears throat> with these words, there can be no valid counter argument without going directly against the Lord. Because I used the knowledge of God in the response. Number four, keep your aim clear. When you're talking to someone or debating someone about matters of Scripture, the aim is not to defend your ego, to prove that you are right or we are right and somebody's wrong, and to enjoy victory by boasting. No, that's not it. The aim is for us to obey Christ and to use Scripture effectively with good attitude to urge others to obey Christ. This is what it's all about. For us to obey Christ and convince others likewise from Scripture of their need to obey Christ. And that's captured here in verse 5. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's our aim. That's what we want. If that aim, if that objective isn't clear, we can quickly get off into methods and attitudes that defeat us. I want to say that again. If this aim, obedience to Christ, if this objective isn't clear, the temptation can enter into us and we can quickly get off into methods and attitudes that defeat us. If I sit down across the table from someone and I know they're wrong, they are not following Scripture. My aim isn't to win a contest and put a trophy on my shelf. No, the aim must always be obedience to Christ for me and for the person I'm talking to. Remember, I said in the introduction, there were false apostles attempting to manipulate the Corinthians, perhaps among them. Now, what would be the ideal outcome? Not just to defeat them, and prove them wrong and hold them up to public ridicule. 
The ideal outcome in the sight of God would be to convert them and for everybody to join together in obedience to Christ, to bring them to repentance, certainly to expose the error, but don't lose sight of what it's all about, obedience to Christ. That's what we want for our religious friends who are not following Scripture. That's what we want for family members who haven't obeyed the gospel. People we may know who are teaching false doctrine or engaged in sin. What's our aim? Obedience to Jesus Christ. Paul was under pressure to respond to his critics. He wanted the Christians in Corinth to exercise good, godly discipline in their response to an alarming situation. How do you do that? By the meekness and gentleness of Christ. We are not waging war according to the flesh. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God to take captive every thought <clears throat> to obey Jesus Christ. That's the objective. So let's be active in the Lord's army. Let's be responsive to sin and error in a good way, taking a stand against sin and error, but with the discipline set forth in these verses, remembering what the aim is for us and for those we're responding to, it is obedience to Jesus Christ. Let's be standing as we say. Without you, I care.